Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome to today's episode. I'm LaWanda Tony, And I'm Helen Westmoreland, and we are your co-hosts. Back in season two of our show, we talked live with National Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson, about the importance of Black educators in the teaching workforce. And today, we're diving deeper into that topic. There's a little variation in the surveys. We know from research that only about 20% of the teacher workforce identifies as a person of color, compared to more than 50% of our student population. And these huge differences are a problem, not just for students of color, but for all of our kids. Absolutely, Helen. There are so many repercussions to the underrepresentation of Black teachers, particularly Black male teachers in schools. I'm glad we can dig into this today with our guests, Sharif L. Mekki. Sharif is the founder and CEO of the Center for Black Educator Development. The center is developing a nationally relevant model to measurably increase teacher diversity and support Black educators. Prior to founding the center, El Mekki served as a nationally recognized principal and a U.S. Department of Education Principal Ambassador Fellow. His school, Mastery Charter Shoemaker, was recognized by President Obama and Oprah Winfrey. Sharif also founded the Fellowship. Black Male Educators for Social Justice, an organization dedicated to recruiting, retaining, and developing Black male teachers. Welcome to the show, Sheree. Tell us about yourself and all your work. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. And I'm so grateful that you had my brother, my friend, one of my heroes in the field, Rodney Robinson, huge fan of the work that he does. I'm Sharif Mekki. I was invited into the teaching profession after I graduated from college. I was a teacher and a principal for 26 years, the last 11 at the Shoemaker campus, which was in the neighborhood I grew up in and lived in, even as a principal. And the three schools that I worked in across 26 years were all community-based schools. Mm-hmm. So that is really my worldview and paradigm that I learned how to teach, learned how to lead, I learned how to serve within the school setting. So I cited a little bit of statistics at the top of the show, just about some of the big differences and what our teacher workforce looks like and our student population. Shreve, can you tell us some of the barriers that keep people of color from becoming and remaining teachers? Yeah, part of the reasons people sometimes don't always connect the dots to it. So one of the things that we actually celebrate in education every year is the Brown versus Board Education ruling by the Supreme Court, at least legally ending school-based segregation. But what happened was that many schools and many districts, some said we're going to shut down and who were teaching those Black students in those all-Black schools were Black teachers and Black principals. And we know around 40,000 Black educators were fired or demoted in different ways. You know, principals being offered janitorial positions. So that type of experience had a tremendous impact. We're still seeing the repercussions. That's, of course, in addition to so many other factors that dissuades Black people, Black men in particular, from coming into the profession. Now, I mentioned that I was invited into the profession, but when I was invited, I think is a very important component. I was invited or tapped on the shoulder after I graduated from college. 
And when we started the fellowship, that ended up being 17 black men from all over the country who were all working in Philadelphia. And what we realized was that we had all been invited into the teaching profession after we had graduated from college. And no one, none of us, these 17 black men, no one had a sit down, a conversation, a tap on the shoulder to engage us in, hey, this is what it means to lead a classroom. Oh, you know what? Your leadership. Have you ever thought about leading a classroom or teaching a course? The same things that we see in our teachers. We asked our colleagues, most of them were white women. The average response was third grade was when they remembered an adult engaging them into becoming a teacher. So when you look at that third grade for one group post back after college graduation for another group. And while that's not the only thing, but that is also just a part of like how many messages do black men receive about what their worth is, what they can do. But then you also have to think about what are the experiences that they have. Our good friend, Dr. Chris Emden, who's now at USC, talks about inviting young black men, black people, brown people into the teaching profession. For many of them, it might be like inviting them back to the scene of a crime, a crime that they experienced because of how they experience mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of these factors. And then if you could tie in the college access, where where people of color are going to high school, if their college and career readiness supports college graduation, the cost of college, the cost of getting certified, the cost of going back to get your master's, all of those can prove to be factors. But some of it starts with what are people's mindsets about these potentially future teachers? Can we talk a little bit about your tap on the shoulder? I'm just curious when you mentioned that you all were tapped on the shoulder and it was after college. What did that tap look like and what was your response initially to it? Yeah, it's one of the things that I think about a lot. I'm really grateful for that tap. As you can imagine, it came from a trusted person. It came from actually the mother of my elementary school best friend. Sakimi Moultrie's mother, Mama Cynthia, (laughs) called me one day, almost a year after I graduated, and said, hey, I heard in Philadelphia they're recruiting Black men to teach. And Luanda, you said, what was my first reaction? My first reaction was like, Mama Cynthia, I don't want to be a teacher. Like, (laughs) I remember my mind racing, like, why did Mama Cynthia think I want to be a teacher? What did I ever say to her that made her think that? (laughs) How could she be so wrong? But she said, they have an interest meeting. I want you to go. If you don't like uh, it or you're not interested, fine, but I want you to go to the meeting. Again, I said she's a trusted mentor, a person in our community. So I'm like, hey, you know what? Mama Cynthia said go, so I'm going to go, even though I'm very skeptical. I'm doing it because I love you. I respect you. And you told me to do it. But getting there, then I met Dr. Martin Ryder, veteran black male educator in the school district of Philadelphia. I was interested in activism. I was interested in supporting mm-hmm. communities. I thought I wanted to do that through legal means. I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was like, no, Mm -hmm. this is just a quick hiatus before I go to law school. And he said, I understand your activism. I believe in that activism that you're displaying. He said, you know what? The purest form of activism is teaching Black children well. Mm. And I was like, Mm. what? And it resonated because I'm like, yeah, that is right. I just hadn't thought of it. I believed Mm. in the importance of education. I had a fantastic elementary and middle school experience. I loved my high school. But what he also said was... There's a deep connection between educational justice and racial justice. And if you are able to obtain one, then you probably obtain the other. So that means to fight for one is fighting for the other. When he was able to paint leading a classroom differently for me as this 21-year-old young Black man, 
I said, oh, yeah. And you know what? I've never looked back since. Wow. So you weren't just tapped on the shoulder. You were sort of pushed down the path at the beginning. Uh, well, yeah, I would say the tap was Mama Cynthia calling. After that, mm-hmm. it was like, sit down, son. Let me explain to you what you <laughs> say you don't want to do. You know what I mean? And I think it's so important just to at least have these conversations and elevate mm-hmm. and help students connect their leadership to leading a classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's what we tell them. Mm-hmm. We talked to youth. We used to have these wide teach tours at the fellowship. And we're talking to this youth and they say, well, we don't want to be a teacher. We're like, why not? Hey, how many of you love youth, appreciate youth, understand how important it is? They all raise their hand. How many of you have displayed leadership, have been told, or you know that leadership is important and you have it? The vast majority of them raise their hand. How many of you want to make a difference? How many of you want to change something mm-hmm. so dramatically that the trajectory is forever changed? And we emphasize all of these things and they're raising their hand. How many of y'all have one thing that you've shared with a peer or with a younger sibling or a cousin or a neighbor? How many of you actually taught something to someone? Mm-hmm. Mentored, taught, helped explain? They all raised their hands. So then we said, you know what? This is kind of like being a teacher. These are parts of the things that make up. It ain't the only thing, but these are some of the ingredients of becoming a teacher. And then I share with them what Dr. Martin Ryder shared with me about that connection between educational justice and racial justice and their sense of fairness and the purest form of activism. And even the ones that Dr. Emden describes as those who had negative experiences, some of them will say, I can't stand school right now, though. And we ask them, do you want it better for your younger sibling or your younger neighbor or your own children? And do you think you can emphasize and impact change and working with others? And then we also share, consider becoming the teacher you wish you had and knew you needed at that moment. Wow. So these are all the dozens of tapping on the shoulder that we're doing. But I think what's Mm. missing from a lot of students' experiences is the opportunity to do, to lead, to impact, Mm -hmm. to provide input. So we provide, based off the Freedom School model, based off the Liberation Schools model, based off the Independent Black Schools model, we provide paid teacher apprenticeships for young Black youth in high school and college to actually practice teaching, to get feedback about their teaching, seeing what it feels like to lead a classroom. That's really great. I, I knew there that. was a lot behind that tap. I knew it. <laughs> I could feel it in your conversation. There was, was the like, journalist in you, Luanda. <laughs> I knew there was more in that tap. She's like, there's I something in there. Right, right, right. <laughs> I know. There was an intentionality with the phrase, right? Sharif, I want to shift gears a little bit. Luanda and I have talked before. So we grew up just a few hours from one another in South Carolina, public schools. So we were reflecting on the curriculum and who was and wasn't represented in our curriculum and what our different experiences were at home, either augmenting that or leaving that as is. So coming to today's episode, I was thinking about the Black teachers I had in school or that were in my schools, and there weren't very many of them. Mm-hmm. I remember Mrs. Smalls, my ninth grade English teacher. But then I was like, but who else? I'm curious your perspective about why it's particularly important for white kids to see Black educators in the classroom, too, and what messages we give if they don't see those educators in the classroom. I think it's absolutely crucial And many schools will have some type of mission or vision statement that speaks to preparing their students for the world. And they're doing the exact opposite because the world is pretty diverse in backgrounds and culture and opinions and work styles, lifestyles. 
but many students are actually developed and prepared to do the exact opposite of only working, thinking in some type of homogenous way. So that's one thing. But I think an even deeper issue is the amount of information that has not made it into white America about all the diverse experiences, contributions, and people that do not look like them, that have contributed mightily to civilization. And I think it's unfortunate that so many white children are taught that the only heroes are the ones that look like them. The only contributors, the only intellectuals, the only artists look like them. Where my elementary school teacher is the one who told me, when you go out into the rest of the world, people are going to tell you that classic, anything, classic literature, classic art, classic music only means white or European. He said, but let me tell you, as soon as someone starts talking about classical anything, ask them what part of Africa are they referring to? I'm a third grader and mm-hmm. understanding that, yeah, you can't just say nobody else's contributions are classical. This is a form of the racism that has permeated, right? So from my perspective, it's extremely important for students to have a better understanding, a deeper understanding of what history is and be able to be critical thinkers and analyze whose voices, experiences, and perspectives are missing in this book that I'm reading and the content. And teachers should be preparing this in your unit map and in your lesson plans. How are you thinking about, am I telling one side of the story? So I think that's a part. So I've even been given a lot of feedback from white educators who said some of their best professional development has been to be around diverse educators, seeing how they value communities, see how they receive input from communities, see how they are warm demanders, all of those things and content. How many times is it? I've never heard of that person. I've never heard of that idea. I've never heard of, right? Because they didn't get it from their teacher prep programs. Often it's a diverse educator who's sharing a different perspective that never permeated their bubble, essentially. Yeah. I was thinking of when society, we sent messages to people about, you could be a teacher. You have skills that could be a teacher. And that I don't know what I thought when I was 15 years old necessarily. I feel like there were messages probably being sent to me that like teachers are white. <laughs> that's who you see. And that's you who you one see. That's, grade, I mean, so a lot of teacher. kids are like, yeah, they are. I mean, you said you had my smalls, I think you said ninth grade. Do you not believe how many educators would say, I've actually had none. Mm-hmm. I never saw a black teacher. So that is the lived experience for a whole lot of students, including black students in many spaces, depending on where they are. Wow. Both my parents were teachers. One taught high school English and the other one taught middle school science. And majority of my elementary, middle school and high school, I had black teachers or teachers of color. Then when I went to college and having conversations with other people who looked just like me, lived in different parts of the countries, they didn't have that same experience. And I was shocked and surprised. Can you talk a little bit of why that experience is important? Why diversity matters? Why especially Black males need to see Black males in the classroom? We've known this for a long time, actually. What we've seen over and over again from a whole catalog of research is that short-term, Black students who have Black teachers are more likely to have access to rigorous courses. We're talking about honors, AP, IB course. They'll be referred. More likely to have higher test scores, better attendance, stronger sense of belongingness, better relationships, over and over and over again. All the things point to, oh, short term, this has an impact on these students. What 
Dr. Lindsay and her colleagues found was that long-term, they looked at thousands of students, long-term, more likely to go to college, less likely to drop out of high school. They have one, this one Black teacher in elementary school. So that's the importance of it. So we're talking about positive racial identity development. We're talking about mentorship. We're talking about seeing someone like I had a Black teacher. Oh, you know what? You went to college. Oh, I can go to college. Oh, you do hard work. Oh, I can do that. So all of these things reinforces this positive racial identity, this sense of self. But it's likely that what they're sharing in the curricula also plays an impact because they're more likely to see mirrors in the curriculum if that Black teacher is teaching a class. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not in the official curriculum, it's more likely that that teacher is also sharing some additional aspect, some kind of connection to help the child connect that education experience with the world or with their aspirations. One of the most important things is that it's consistently shared in the data that Black teachers have high expectations for all students. And Mm -hmm. often Black children with other teachers, people have lower expectations for them. We're seeing people look at students with the same data, one having a Black sounding name, what they call ethnic name or whatever, And they automatically attributing lower expectations on that child. And the thing that's so pernicious about lower expectations, it's not just lower expectations about what the child can do. That's bad enough. There's also lower expectations for what I need to provide the child. Yeah. And what their parents can do. Oh, absolutely. 100%. In the world of family engagement, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the things some folks will say about other parents, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And not just parent to parent, but also, unfortunately, sadly, educators about parents. My mother was a teacher like yours, LaWanda, and she said some of the concerns she had about students' experiences was just based on how they were talked about, how they were spoken about. Mm -hmm. And she only worked in elementary school, right? But there's research to support that, that Black children experience their teachers' racial biases as early as three or four-year-olds, pre-K, right? So how does that permeate throughout our systems and our districts and our schools and our classrooms? How does the child continue to experience that over and over and over again? And then at what point do they, just for their own self-preservation, start to check out? Mm -hmm. So all of this, we have a lot of work to do. And we believe that educators have to have a positive, healthy, supportive, almost revolutionary mindset about other people's children. Hmm. They feel like literally I'm leading and serving in this school, in this community, and I am here to help you meet your expectations and aspirations as a family, as a community, and as a student. If that's our North Star, then we'll be able to accelerate student achievement much faster than we've ever been before. Yeah, I love that. So how do we get to that North Star? We have a lot of our listeners who are involved in some sort of, I don't know if they would necessarily self-identify as advocates, but like they are. you obviously run a center that mm-hmm. does recruitment, support, retention to increase diversity in the workforce. Is it going well in any place? What are some things we should be asking of our school systems to meet that promise? Exactly. So I think that's one thing, really, as parents pushing and challenging the systems. Yep, I heard you. Now, how does this play out? What is my child's experience going to be? I think part of school and district leadership, it is absolutely crucial to ask, how am I showing up? How are you experiencing my leadership? 
How have I let you down? And what can I do to improve? Suppose we looked at back to school night differently, for example. Instead of typically parents and children, if they're allowed, I've heard of some schools that say, keep your kids home. It's just for parents, right? All kind of weird stuff if you're thinking it as a community. But anyway, they usually come in, the parents, and they hear about all the rules, regulations, policies, procedures. Here's the homework policy. Here's the attendance. Don't park here. Don't do this. Here's what you eat. Don't drop off lunch. They hear all these rules. Just imagine if back to school night was only about, can you tell me about your child? Mm -hmm. What can I do to ensure that they have a fantastic experience? What are their strengths? What are their aspirations? What are your aspirations? How do you want me to communicate with you? Suppose we were listening. Back to school night was about parents coming back to the school to remind us as educators about what their expectations are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And going back a little to some of the teacher diversity, one of the things I wonder is, do schools even track teacher diversity? Is that data a parent could ask for and be curious about? More people track it than we will probably believe, but not many are transparent about it. They may know about uh-huh. it and not share it. So it's not even just what do you have there? Like, what are the demographics? But I think another question is, what's the retention rate? Mm. Because the attrition rate is so high. So for us, mm-hmm. a lot of districts reach out to us. Some of them just, they were like, we need a black teacher. We don't have them in our back pockets. What we do is help <laughs> you imagine what is a black teacher pipeline uh-huh. for your district, for your region, for your city. That's how we're looking at it. For us, the Black Teacher Pipeline is 12 years long. Mm. Early exposure, clinical experiences in high school, in college, and in the first four years of teaching, providing support so that they stay. A lot of districts are actually doing better at recruiting teachers of color, but they're not Mm. retaining. So they're inviting them into the front door, not being curious about the experiences or the ecosystem that they're inviting them to. Some of them are inviting them into some, as Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, Integration, he says, sometimes I think I'm asking my people to integrate into a burning house. Well, that could be applied mm-hmm. to educators of color, too. Some of them are coming into some pretty anti-Black, anti-Brown environments. So why would they stay? There's so many Black and Brown educators who are the lone and lonely in their school. Imagine what that could look like if people just think, oh, you know what? We don't have to talk about race, class, power, privilege, or any of that kind of thing. Just teach. Sharif, you've given us so much information, so many things to consider, to think about. If you could narrow it down to one thing that you want families to walk away from this conversation or one thing that they can do, what's your suggestion? Yeah, I would say please continue to have these conversations. Diversity is absolutely important for all students, but also the experiences of diverse educators is also important, but they can help accelerate achievement. They can improve school climates. They should not be expected to do that by themselves. It takes everyone. So everyone should be thinking, how can I be anti-racist in how I lead, how I support, how I partner, how I teach? And secondly, if you know any young Black youth who would be open to teaching, well, if you tap them on the shoulder, we'll provide the clinical experience. So if you know any young Black youth at high school or college who might be interested in teaching, we want to offer them the opportunity to work in our Freedom School Literacy Academy is a paid apprenticeship every summer for our high school and college youth interested in teaching. And they will teach first, second, and third graders literacy, positive racial identity development, and some type of educational activism project. We have it in person in Philadelphia and Detroit and Camden, and we have virtual for other places. Thanks. 
Oh my gosh, this has been a great conversation. Do you know that website address at the top of your head? Sure. www.thecenterblacked.org. That's www.thecenterblacked.org. And you can find us on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and LinkedIn. Awesome. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Please remember to visit Apple Podcast page and leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the season so far. And as always, for more resources related to today's episode, check out notesfromthebackpat.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes.